0: What a great question, how can we love better? I want to talk to you this morning about how to love beyond the surface. You know, a lot of people today um, love on the surface level. We we love as long as it's easy, as long as it's convenient, as long as it doesn't cost me much, we're willing to love. Um, I want to start with a little story. A woman was surprised one Sunday morning when she got to church... And another lady who had oftentimes snubbed her went out of her way to give her a big hug before the service. She wondered what had initiated her change of heart. She got her answer at the end of the service when the pastor instructed the congregation, "Do you remember your assignment for uh, or your assignment for next week is the same as it was last week?" I want you to go out there and love somebody you can't stand. (laughs) Funny, but it, oh, that hurts. If loving others was only that easy as giving a hug to someone that you don't like, we could all excel in the area of love. Just hug them and then move on. But love is a bit more difficult than that. It requires a continual effort and hard work. Because at the heart of loving others is putting the other person ahead of yourself. And that's always a huge battle for us as humans because we are very, very selfish. Our difficult mode is to retreat back to our own selfishness, not to love. For this reason, Jesus in the New Testament and as a whole, and the Apostle John never tired of exhorting us as believers to love one another, which by the way means your brothers and sisters in Christ, in case you're wondering. John was originally known as the one of the sons of thunder, remember? And when he was a young man, just called into the ministry, Jesus called him, the, you know, one of the brothers of the sons of thunder. I imagine that everywhere that he went, he created a storm. And when he had left, people were glad to see him go. But then Jesus came into his life, touched him. He became a follower of Christ, and he changed. He became known as the apostle of love. After his conversion, everywhere he went, he brought calmness and peace. And people wanted him to stay. Love characterized his life. Love was the prevailing message of his life as well. In fact, one of the early church fathers wrote this about the Apostle John when he was extremely of old age and was so weak that he had to be carried into church meetings. At the end of the meeting, he would be helped to his feet and give to give a word of exhortation to the church. Inevitably, he would repeat, little children, let us love one another. The disciples began to grow weary of the same words every time the Apostle John would get up to speak at the end of the service. So they asked, why do you continue to tell us the same thing over and over again? Well, if I were John, I would have answered it this way because apparently you haven't gotten the message. But he didn't. This is what he said. He replied, because it is the Lord's commandment, and if this is only done, it is enough. You see, if we love one another, John says, the way Christ told us to, and do nothing else, that's enough. It's going to make a difference. Like driving a nail into a board, John hit his commandment of love one another again and again and again. Five times, actually, in the little letter to First John, John reminds the readers that Jesus commands us to love one another. He wanted to make sure that we understood that love is not an optional virtue that, that we as believers can choose or not choose. Love, however, is a distinguishing mark, the necessary ethic of a Christian in a lost and dying world. Later in First John chapter four, verse eight, John delivered the final blow to the nail to say that if we do not love others, we simply do not love God. Love is such an overused word today, isn't it? I mean, think about it. Think about it. We, we, we say, I, "I love my wife. boy, I loved what you made for dessert last night, honey. and I love my team." I, I, I love that new restaurant down the street. You see, we've overused the word to the point that, that really people don't know what we mean when we say, I love you. And they say, well, is that mere words? Or is there action behind it? And, and, and I want you to understand that we need to be careful how we use the words. Well, I read this story, and I thought it was rather amusing. A little lady wrote to her once fiancé, and here's what she wrote. Dearest Ben, no words can ever express my great unhappiness that I have felt since breaking our engagement. Please say that you'll take me back. No one could take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. I love you. Yours forever, Betty. No, you didn't write this, Miss Betty. Oh, hang on, it gets better. P.S., and congratulations for winning the state lottery. (laughs) Love too often is thought of as a sentiment that we feel or a shallow emotion. Love is much, much deeper than that. And I want us to talk about how do we love below the surface? How do we get past that Shao ideology that the world has created and we have fallen into that trap? Let's look first at what love means. Biblical love goes deeper than the surface. The expanded version of the definition of love reads like this. Biblical love is a self-sacrificing, Caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. At its heart, biblical love is a commandment that is not without feelings. It is a caring commitment. In other words, biblical love involves delight, not just duty. Also, this caring commitment is not just an attitude, but an action. It shows itself both in word and in deed. Those deeds are often required self-sacrifice, even supremely in the case of Jesus Christ when He went to the cross and died for you and I. The goal of this commitment is the highest good for the one that we love. While there are many good things love seeks to accomplish, from meeting the basic needs of food, clothing, and shelter, to the highest pursuit of personal wealth, value, and accomplishment. For believers, the highest good is that a person becomes a believer in Christ. Taking the step of faith and then beginning to walk as one being a Christian, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Thus, biblical love allows for loving correction when needed. Since biblical love is a commitment, therefore, it also can be and is a commandment. In fact, Jesus commands Christians to love one another over and over again. John restated this commitment when he said, in his command of Jesus, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, this is the message that you heard from the beginning. Now let me just refresh your memory. In John chapter 13, Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, a new way of thinking about things, I tell you, love one another. All right, And Jesus tells us that we should love one another. Love originated with God. The command to love one another comes from the lips of Jesus himself. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Isn't it amazing that Jesus didn't tell us something to do without first showing us how to do it? Jesus said, I give you a commandment, go and love one another, but if you're not sure how, look at the way that I loved you. Look at the way that I have given myself for you. And he says, listen, as the world sees you loving this way, they will no doubt know that you are one of my disciples. You see, the disciples at this point in their their walk with Jesus were a little confused. Jesus had been telling them he's leaving. He's going to leave them to themselves. And they kind of said, wait a minute. um, You've made such a a, a change in the the atmosphere and the landscape of uh, of Jerusalem. and, And you've made such an impact upon the people. How will they know that we walked with you? By the way that you and I love one another is how they're going to know. Jesus gives the word or the world, permission to judge whether one of his followers are loving in the proper way or not. He says, "Listen, the world's going to look at you and they're going to make a determination whether or not you're a believer. By the way that you're loving one another. I don't know about you, but that scares me a little bit. The fact that, that the world has the right by God to determine and judge my character based upon how I love you. So that says to me that I better be very conscious of, of how that I'm loving people around me, how my love is expressed and displayed among God's people. The Bible tells us that this is something serious. Then history tells us that the first century church did this well. The disciples heard this new commandment and they saw Jesus loving them and and going to the cross to die for humanity. And then they took that love into the world. And let me just read a few statements from um, some writers, early writers. Early believers fulfilled this command that they would love one another. A writer named Celius back in AD 210, said this of the Christians. They know one another by secret marks and signs... And they love one another almost before they know one another. Think about the depth of that love. They already made a choice to love you before they ever knew you, simply because you were a fellow believer in Christ. Man, wouldn't that change the world around us if we today love that way? If the church didn't have to get to know me and think, do I like him enough to love him? But just know that I am a follower of Christ, and because I'm a follower of Christ, I am loved by the body of Christ. You know, every time that new believers come up here and new folks come and they they say, Preacher, I want to join the church or I want to testify that I've been saved, and they come and they stand up here and stand before you, 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 you know what goes through their minds? You should, because you, you should have been one of those people that did that. And I don't know about you, but I know what went through my mind, and I know what goes through the minds of many others. They tell me long before they ever stand here, But when I have conversations, preacher, are they going to love me? Are they going to accept me for me? Or am I going to have to be something I'm not so that they'll accept who I am? And I tell them what they're going to accept is the fact that you are a child of God. You see, that's the kind of love that Jesus says that we are to have one for another. The kind of love that says, I I don't have to get to know your character. I don't have to get to know your attitude. I love you because you are a child of God. Now, if that were the only writing, that would would say a lot about the first century church, but it's not. The Greek writer Lucian said of the early church, It is incredible to see the fervor with which people of that religion help each other in their wants. He didn't say their needs. He said in their wants. They spare nothing. Their first legislator, Jesus put it unto their, into their heads that they are all brethren. The first church father, Tertullian, said, It is our care for the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Look, they say, how they love one another. Look how they prepare to die for one another. Would outsiders describe the modern Christian today like that? I'm afraid not. I'm afraid the world looks at the church and says that they're just as mean oftentimes as the world. They're just as critical and judgmental, unacceptive, But listen, my friends, we are to love one another. If God gave the people of the outside the right to look inside and to judge each and every one of us as Christians, and by the way, they do. Statistics show, and and when, when people go out and survey the world, they hear these statements all the time. If the church was only more loving, then I would want to be a part of it. They are judging us. They are looking at us. The outside is looking in. And we need to take note to the fact that how we're behaving in here affects what goes on out there. And basically it just means how are we loving one another? How are we loving our brothers and sisters in Christ? Would we pass the test today? Don't you think it breaks God's heart? Hurts God's name when Christians don't show that same kind of love today? The absence of love in the life of a believer is inconsistent with the message that John speaks here in 1 John chapter 3. Christian love is the fundamental to being a child of God. In fact... The third thing that I want you to hear is that loving one another is evidence of one's salvation. Now, we talked a lot about this last week, but John goes on to remind us again. It's not only how we're living, but it's how we're loving. John continues, and look at verses 14 and 15, and I want to read it to you again. We know that we have passed from death unto life. That means that we were spiritually dead, but now we're spiritually alive because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brethren abideth back in that death. We have not come out of our spiritual deadness into spiritual life. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And he know not, we know not that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. With John, there's no pastels, there's no shades of gray. Our present in this description of people is in their relationship with God. The only two classifications that John gives to any of us is either we're spiritually alive or we're spiritually dead. Can I just be honest? John got it right. We are either spiritually dead, or we have been brought to life spiritually through Jesus Christ. There's no in between. I'm not almost there. Uh, Count me in, because I'm almost there. I got it up here, but I just don't have it here. No, my friends. We are spiritually dead until Jesus makes us spiritually alive. And when we are spiritually alive, we can no longer act as if we were spiritually dead. We must love as He loved. The only classification that we have is that we are either a child of God or a child of the devil. We're a believer or an unbeliever. Every one of us belongs to one or the other. And John says one of the evidence that that we are a child of God, one of the evidence that we belong to Jesus is our love for one another. But how do I know what love is? How am I supposed to know in a world that has defined it so loosely and so thinly that it's, it's just surface? How do I get below the surface? Well, again... Jesus didn't give us a new commandment without first giving us the illustration of how to do it. Jesus illustrated His love through His sacrifice. Jesus showed us how, and John reminds us both in this letter that he writes and also in the gospel. Having shown that love is for one another is evidence of being a Christian, John now sets forth the supreme example of this love. He calls it the sacrifice of Jesus. John said, hereby perceive that we the, that we, the love of God because we, he laid down his life for us. And we are also to lay our lives down for our brethren. Do you remember what the the early church writer said? They not only loved one another, but they were willing to die for one another because they lived in a day when life and death, claiming to be a Christian, could put you on the death block. And they were willing to defend the believer by standing up and saying, I am, it's me, I love him. I'll take his punishment. I'll stand as Jesus did. Jesus laid down his life as an illustration, as a demonstration of his love for us. Love, my friends, is not an emotion, love is a decision, love is a matter of the will not of the emotion if you want a portrait of love if you want an example of love look no further than jesus himself look to his life he illustrated love by the life that he lived by the service that he did he never showed hatred or malice he crossed the uh, the racial lines he crossed the cultural barriers He even went against the geographical barriers to care for people. I'm always struck by the Samaritan woman at the well. But before we get there, I'm struck by the the words that Jesus said to his disciples. Because you've got to understand that in Jewish culture in that day, they would rather walk an extra seven miles around Samaria than to go through Samaria. And Jesus made that statement that I read many, many years ago and it just spoke to my heart. I must needs go through Samaria. Not around it. Not bypass it. Not skip it. But I got to go through it. That geographical area that the Jews hated to walk in. Jesus said, I'm going to cut it right down the middle. My love is going to split this thing wide open. And then read the rest of the story, and it does just that. Jesus meets that poor little woman at the well who's been an outcast in her family, in her town, in her community. Tells her, her all about salvation. And she runs in and tells everybody else, and multitudes are saved. He reached out to the unlovely and the castaways of this world which I will tell you that I am one of them. But the ultimate expression of His love was when the world was dying in their sin He willingly said to the Father I will go I will die in their place. If you want to know how much Jesus loves you, how much he loves the world that is rotten with sin, look at what he did. He stretched out his arms. He said, nail me to a cross and let me die in their place. There's no greater illustration No greater demonstration that we need than what Jesus has already done for us. Does it mean that you and I are going to have to pay the ultimate price? Does it mean that I'm going to have to die for you? It might. It might. But you know, it's highly unlikely. More often than not, what it simply means is what the last point of my message is for you this morning. That real deep love, below the surface love, is not what we say, it's what we do. It is through our actions, through what we show others how we live. Let's face it. Most of us are not going to be called upon to lay down our life as the ultimate sacrifice for others. But every one of us, every one of us, are called to make small sacrifices for somebody every day. I read of a man who came to know the Lord and he had substantial wealth, and he told the Lord, God, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to give you $10,000. The Lord spoke to the man and said, Boy, I really appreciate that, but no, no thanks. But I'd rather you do this. I'd rather you give $1 and $2 and $5 as a gift to people in need every day. You see, we oftentimes think of, it's my grand jester that's going to show how much I love. No. No, because that gets your attention. That, That puts the spotlight on us, and God says, nope, that's not what I want. I don't want it spotlighted on you. I want it spotlighted on me. So you do it in the little things that nobody else sees, but I do. Because I commanded you to do it. Because I'm the one who inspired you to go and help that one that's in need. To meet that financial need, or meet that physical need, or to do that project that they can't do for themselves. I think that's what John had in mind when he penned the words... In 1 John chapter 3 and verses 16 through 18, listen to what he said. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, but whosoever has this world's goods and sees his brother has a need and shut up his bowels of compassion means just ignores it. How dwelleth the love of God in them? My little children, let not love be in word, neither just in tongue. But indeed and in truth, real, deep, below-the-surface Christian love is expressed in our daily acts of service and help that may not be equal much each time, but when all added up, equal a great deal. So, what are the two things that we need to know about this love? First of all, Christian love is personal, John says. John informed us that Christian love is personal. John does not, or John does, in, in an interesting thing in these two verses here, he speaks of brothers in the plural in verse 16. But then he makes a deliberate and significant change in verse 17 when he speaks of brother as singular. As a church, we ought to be doing this, but as an individual Christian, you ought to be doing this. He knew when, that we would oftentimes, even today, mostly today, say it's easier to love mankind than it is to love the man that lives with me. It's easier to love the world than it is to love the neighbor that lives next door to me. It's easier to love the church than it is the person sitting in the pew behind me or in front of me. John understood that love has to be more than just, I love people. Do you love that person that just irritates the fire out of you? See, Jesus said what? A new commandment that I give unto you, love only those that are lovable. Boy, that's easy. But that's not what he said. He said love one another. No criteria, no strings attached, no if-but love one another. Personal. One. Christian love is not only personal, but Christian love is practical. John went on to say that Christian love is practical because Christian love always expresses itself in action. Not just word. He says, listen, it cannot be just that which is on the tip of our tongue. So let your words say what your actions speak. Back it up, people. John contrasts words versus actions. To love in word means simply to talk about a need, but to love in action means to go out and do something about meeting that need. Christian love doesn't just say, I love you. It gets its hands dirty, its feet dusty, and its heart engaged. Ultimately, this brings us back to our definition that I gave you at the very beginning, what is love? Love is self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good for others. Or if you want to define it down to two simple words so you can remember it, love acts. Love doesn't just talk, love acts. So let me close. The brood of truth about loving one another is that it boils down to obeying a commandment that Jesus himself gave to us by displaying actions of self-sacrifice to others. Loving one another is the evidence that you and I are a follower of Christ, that we have the salvation that comes through Jesus, our Savior. If people are judging Our Christian faith on the basis of our love for one another. Will you pass the test? Do we show the signs or the marks of being a Christian by loving one another? Not just talking about it, but doing something about it. She's coming to the altar. She knows she... Follow the little one. She knows where you need to go. Come to the altar. Church, I need to be honest. There's a question in my heart. How is the world looking at us as a church? Not as, not as the global church, but as Midway. How are they looking at us? What would the world say? And what is the world saying about how you and I are loving one another? Will they say, boy, that's a church that loves one another? It's Evident by the way they care for one another? By how they help one another? How is the world that is judging us speaking of us? If you're not loving your brother and your sister in Christ as you ought to, then you need to confess it before the Lord as a believer, and say, God, I need to love better because you loved better. And if you can't find that love in your heart, then let me remind you that there is a reason John says that is the case, because the love of God is not in your heart. And we can fix that today. You can come to Christ. Just like that little one knew to crawl to the altar, we need to know to crawl to the altar. We need to come to Jesus. We need Him to love us in a way that our dead spirit becomes alive for Him. And then we need to love others as He loved us.